Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. There should be a slide that appears that shows our glorious King. This is King Charles. Look at him in his beautiful purple, um, his fluffy cape. Um, obviously, wearing a you know as much jewellery as Corinne's Josh might wear, um, <laughs> and and really pulling it off. Um, but I've, I've got a question, I guess. If there was like a job specification going out that was asking for someone to announce King Charles, uh, you know, the guy who goes, King Charles, and then everyone claps and, and bows and he comes out. The, the, what would the job spec look like? What is the kind of stuff that's required of an announcer for King Charles? What do we reckon? A nice voice. I didn't think of that one. Yeah, a nice voice, a loud voice. What else? What would you expect of that kind of person? From the south. From the south. Probably looks smart. Yeah, he's got to look pretty smart. Probably pretty confident. Yeah. Anything else? Punctual. Absolutely. He's got to be. He's got to work under that authority and really, you know, do what he's told. Anything else? Got to be pretty accurate. Yeah. Now, a lot of those, I think, are, are really good. Descriptions of what an announcer should have. Um, but there's, in fact, um, in, in our passage today, it's, a, it's kind of about an announcer. And he doesn't really fulfill quite a few of those. He's, in fact, probably the opposite of quite a few of those. For example, like the, the well-dressed thing. He's probably you know, quite the opposite of that. In fact, in terms of having a nice voice, maybe he had a nice voice, but I'm sure he probably sounded a little bit angry at times. Obviously, you don't want to be like, King Charles, like in an angry way. You want to be kind of, you know, like pulling him out and... and and really adorning um, his glory. So what we're looking at today is we're, we're kind of looking at this announcer. Um, he is a very humble guy um, and um, really he, he makes us all question, like, why are you this guy's announcer? Why are you King Jesus's announcer? Our king who is above all kings, above King Charles, he's the, the authority of the world, why did King Jesus pick this guy? He seems like the opposite of what you might want. He's incredibly humble. And the reason is really, he's, he was good at preparing for Jesus. Um, but we can also think that about ourselves. We can think, why would, why would Jesus be interested in me? Why would Jesus even associate with me? I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. Why would he want me on his side? Um, and even those, those of us that you know, are, are, feel quite close to Jesus, we can even ask the question, is he pleased with me? Is he pleased with me? And so when I, when I say today, I think we should get ready for Jesus, some of us might be thinking, why? Why should we do so? Um, well, this passage today is going to give us answers to all of those questions. So let's get back to Jesus' announcer uh, not, yeah, there we go. Right, so written in the book of Matthew, Jesus calls this guy the greatest human in history. Chapter 11, verse 11. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Certainly, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was saying that John the Baptist was the greatest person 
in history. That's because he prepared the way for the king. Chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. So what we learnt about here, if you can click one more for me please Lily. What we learnt was his his clothes were very plain. Um, He had, if he had a fashion sense, he paid no attention to it. The food, it was desert locusts. That was the food available in the desert. It would be eaten by the poor. Um, And it was honey. Again, wild honey eaten by the poor, just those hanging around the desert. Um, His auditorium was not palaces, it was not courts, it wasn't uh, even marketplaces. It was the wilderness, the desert, and people would go out to him into this ridiculous venue. Um, And the the people that were doing that were just common folk. They weren't the the really high society, they weren't well-respected people by the Roman Empire, you know, the power of the day. They weren't um, respected by the temples. They were just the common folk. They were me and you. That was who John the Baptist's audience was. Um, I mean, if you had a mate living like that, you'd probably say to him, pal, you're at rock bottom here. There was nothing, however, in his way. He was preparing for the king There was nothing in his way. As James told us last week, uh, the writer of his book, Matthew, was Jewish and was writing to Jewish people that were waiting for a king and they'd been waiting for hundreds of years. They'd been waiting for a king uh, for a long time. So this is a big deal. And Matthew reckons he's found the king in Jesus. And so he's writing about it and he's packing evidence into his writing. He's, He's saying... People, believe me that this is the guy. You know all this stuff. This Jesus is the guy who is the king. He's just trying to convince Jewish people by quoting the Old Testament. And he does that actually more than any of the other um, gospel writers. Um, He's saying it's happening now. This is it. This is the king. So he quotes from Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Who is the voice calling in the wilderness? Who's Isaiah talking about? John. John John the Baptist, yeah. Um, It's been written about for hundreds of years. And what does, in fact, we're still talking about John the Baptist 2,000 years later. And what does John do with his potential glory? He says, everyone, look at him. Everyone, look at him. He's not taking that glory for himself. And the same reason, again, Jesus claimed that John the Baptist was the greatest in history, and that's because he's preparing the way for someone else. He's preparing the way for him, the king. Let's shoot forward a bunch of verses to 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? 
Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Baptism is about confessing your sins. And when you're plunged into the water, it symbolizes your sins being washed away. Um, And so John knows he's a sinner. John knows he's got sins to wash away. Um, And he also knows that Jesus has got no sins to wash away. Really, does Jesus need to be baptized? He's totally humbling up by saying, Jesus, you're greater than I. You should be the one baptizing me. And so one final time in this chapter, John shows again why he's so great, because he lets Jesus lead. He does exactly as Jesus asks of him, and he prepares for the king. I want you to imagine your life was a car. And I want you to consider who is in the driving seat. Who's got their hands on the wheel? Is it you? Is it your boss? Is it your uh, spouse? Your kids? Your aspirations? Is it your mental health? Is it your physical health that's got its hands on the wheel of the car that is your life? I want you to imagine you were looking at your GPS device, your uh, A to Z if you're old school. Um, Think about the direction your life's going in. Can you see the route there? Who's input that? Where is your life going? What what are the directions? Um, and, And where's Jesus in this car? Is he in that driver's seat or is he in the passenger seat? Is he in the back or is he in the boot? Comes out every now and again when convenient for you. Or is he even in the car? So how can we prepare for the king? We can take John's advice and we can clear the way for the king. Remove anything and everything and anyone that is in that driver's seat. And cautiously, if you have to, remove them from the car. And I don't say this lightly. If you're removing a person from the car, talk to someone wiser than yourself before you do something like that. Um, But whatever is stopping Jesus from taking the lead... Get it out of the way and make sure you don't get in that seat. You don't let anything else get in that seat and you let Jesus stay in that seat. Don't think twice about it. Jesus applauds John's minimalist way of life. He's not letting anything in the driver's seat. And once that seat is empty, again, don't think about putting anything else there that is for Jesus. Put him in the driver's seat. Put Jesus in that driver's seat before you spill that, fill that spot with anything else. Um, I promise after this I won't milk the driving illustration um, anymore. One more thing. Um, when I was learning to drive, I had a, a driving instructor and I, I learned in a dual control car. So I've got the wheel, I've got the pedals, um, the gear stick. That's it, right? Yeah. Um, my, my instructor, however, has got... If I remember, he's got a brake pedal. I can't remember if he's got all the pedals, but he's got a brake pedal. Now, he's telling me at the start of the lesson, Michael, you need to uh, brake a bit sooner. 
uh, as you come to a stop, let's, let's brake a bit sooner. So we're coming to a stop. I see a red light. We're coming to a stop. And I'm, I'm putting the brake on lightly. Uh, and the car is braking. But I don't quite realise my instructor is putting their foot on more. The problem is that he does that every single time, which means I'm not really learning how much I need to brake, because every single time, he's braking for me. And still today, Hannah's telling me that I need to brake sooner as well. Um, But the point is, are you in that passenger? Have you got Jesus in the driver's seat? You're in that passenger seat in a dual-control car, and whenever it's convenient, ah, I might brake now. I might just hit that brake there. Jesus, no, 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 drive, go for it. Oh, I'll brake there, if you wouldn't mind. And we also see here an example of how not to prepare for the king. Uh, verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising... Um, and these are two different groups, one of which, uh, they're both very religious, one of which is uh, really in there with the Roman officials, the other of which is kind of a bit, bit more like with the common people, but they still think of themselves as better than the common people. Um, they don't really see themselves as, as being in need of a saviour as such because they're without sin. So you've got the Pharisees and Sadducees, they are above everyone else, okay, in their heads at least. They disagree with each other, um, but in this situation, they're kind of grouped together. They'd be thinking, why say sorry to God if I haven't done anything wrong? Uh, Why be baptised if I have no sin to wash away? So when Jesus saw these guys coming, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce fruit, produce good fruit, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So he called them a bunch of snakes. Fantastic insult. And he said to them that they must be they must have been told judgment was coming because they wouldn't have thought of it themselves. They didn't think of themselves as needing any help. Uh, and he goes back to their ancestry. He, he says to these two groups, just because you're Jewish, that doesn't mean you can get away with, with not preparing for the king. He says, this is God we're talking about. He doesn't need you to be king. And if you're not going to respond as you really should, then I'll find people that will. And he starts using this metaphor of fruit. Um, And fruit is an illustration used all over the New Testament. If you're an orange tree, you're going to produce oranges. Um, If you are um, repentant, then it's going to change your activity. It's going to change your life. It's going to turn your life around. If you've got a TV that's not playing any sound, or showing any images, what are you going to do with it? You're going to try, ask Mark to fix it. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, what did you say? Bin it. Bin it, that's a better answer. Thank you, James. Turn it off and on again, yeah. You might send it to the tip. James knows what I was after there. Send it to the tip. Uh, send it to the scrapper, absolutely. Um, so I want you to think right now about how you might feel like an outcast. I think we all do in some way. Um, Think how you feel left out. How do you feel low? How do you feel so incredibly ordinary? And now just think, 
You may not be the best at your job. You may not be the life of the party. You may not have the best stuff. You may not be the centre of your family. You may be the least favourite in that area or, or that area. But God is here for you. He's here for the people that don't think they're all that. He's here for you. He's here for the people in the desert. And he's asking you to prepare your heart for him. And I talk specifically to the Christians now when I ask, can you see the fruit of repentance in your life? Repentance is, is, is just saying, ah, I've done bad stuff. I'm sorry. Can you see the fruit of that in your life? Can you see how as God changes your heart, your life is turned around? And you start to want what God wants for your life. One of the things I want you to encourage each other about in community groups this week is tell each other the fruit you see in others in their lives. Tell someone, sometimes you don't know yourself, sometimes someone needs to tell you. So tell someone one example of how they want what God wants. Um, We have talked about some heavy stuff in here, judgment and fire and cutting down and sin. Um, And they should be talked about because it's written here, but they should be accompanied as well with the name Jesus because he's sinless. He's the one that doesn't need to repent. He's the one that need not be baptised. So the second thing I want you to take away from this is to recognise Jesus as the king. It's to see him as your king. It's to put a crown on Jesus' head and crown the king. I've got five reasons to call Jesus the king, but they're all quite short. Firstly, his baptism shows that he's willing to be partnered with sinners. You've got all these people who are being baptised, confessing their sins, and you've got Jesus, who doesn't need to confess his sins, he doesn't need to be baptised, and yet he comes along, he travels along, let's say a couple of days walk, to get to John and associate with a load of sinners. John, who understands his sin, he says in front of a load of people that also understand their sin, Jesus says, I'm here with you sinners. I'm here for you. And I'm also giving you a little picture of what is to come. I'm going to die for the world's sins. What a difference from the Pharisees and Sadducees who, who didn't, partner with sinners who didn't see themselves as being a part of that group and you've got Jesus doing that absolutely opposite thing and that is great news for us let's put a crown on his head and let's crown him that's just one I've got five of these the second thing I want you to take away from this is to recognize Jesus as the king it's to see him as your king it's to put the crown on Jesus head and crown the king. I've got five reasons to call Jesus the king. Firstly, his baptism shows that he is willing to be partnered with sinners. You've got all these people who are being baptised, confessing their sins, and you've got Jesus, who doesn't need to confess his sins, he doesn't need to be baptised, and yet he comes along to John, who understands his sin. And says, in front of a load of people that also understand their sin, I'm here with you sinners and I'm giving you a little picture of what is to come. I'm going to take on the sins of the world. 
What a difference from the Pharisees and Sadducees that didn't see the sin in themselves and wouldn't be associated with sinners. Jesus partnered with sinners, though, and that is great for us. He'll partner with us no matter what state we're in. Someone get a crown, put it on the guy. That's just one. We've got five of these. Secondly, Jesus pleased his father. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Very simply, crown the guy. Because he is the one, through his own merit, that can please God. Thirdly, Jesus is pleased with us. This, ber- this verse is from the book of uh, Galatians, uh, it's chapter 3, verses 27. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We're told that we are in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we are wrapped in him. So when the Father says, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. If you're baptised into Jesus, the Father is pointing at you at the same time. A little demonstration of that is with uh, those hoodies. They're like hoodies, but baggier and fluffier and 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 bigger. And uh, you know, I've got one at home. It's not mine. I'm not going to admit to that. Um, it's Hannah's, and it, it's covered in pizza. Um, it's it's a pretty horrific sight, to be fair. But you know, you, you might look at it. Uh, you know, a person in there wrapped in this pizza. You might look at it and go, "Wow, wow, pizza!" And and, and immediately you. You kind of like, you like that person as well, uh, because they are wrapped in this pizza that you love. And equally, when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus' righteousness. That's awesome. Put a crown on his head. Number four, let's crown him because he purifies us. Let's jump back to a a verse we missed out earlier. Verse 11. I baptise you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we're back to that scary word again, fire. It's the same fire. It's from the same God. It's from the same King. But this time, it's said in a positive light. John is implying that we should want to be baptised with fire. And please don't take that literally. But um, fire has various positive uses, one of which it purifies. So here's a picture of gold being purified. It starts off earthy. It's got no kind of shine to it. It's kind of gold looking. Uh, But it's full of impurities. It's gold, but it's got a load of other stuff in there. Um, And it's put under this very powerful fire. And uh, you're left with, there it is, pure gold. It's been purified and its value is considerably higher. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You'll be purified. 
made so much more beautiful. The rubbish, gone. The sin, gone. God's judgment on us, gone. Crown him. Number five, another great use for fire is power. He powers us. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit filling God's people. And in in, in his power, they are able to do all sorts of wondrous things. It's almost like they are set ablaze with a fire inside them that fuels them to love each other in radical ways and face incredible hardships and perform miracles. And that's fire inside them. Think of a car with, a, with no fire. The in, internal combustion engine, you know, what's, that's the car's engine, that's what it's called. Combustion means uh, something is burning in there. The petrol is being set on fire. If a car has no fire, it isn't moving. It isn't a car, it's just two rows of seats in a metal cage with some windows. Uh, but God baptizes us with fire and we are powered by fire. And I want you to ask yourself now, do I feel on fire for Jesus? Am I empowered with fire? It can be really easy to be a part of a church and and just do loads of stuff for the church, but you let your relationship with Jesus suffer. And it makes it all really just a religion rather than a relationship. If you feel uh, run down by all the stuff and, and you feel like Jesus isn't, isn't in it, um, you can end up feeling like you're part of a, an activist group rather than a part of a, a kingdom with Jesus on the throne. I and mean, as someone shared earlier, it, you know, it can just end up being a club. You're just a club, you're not a church because God isn't in it. Do you feel baptised by the Holy Spirit? Or maybe you think that that fire inside you dwindled a long time ago. Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.